Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 25 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 22nd of November, 2009, entitled, The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, Part 10. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation, chapter 20, verses 7 to 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bible this morning to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, and we'll be reading verses 7 through 15. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, for whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Father, we thank you this morning for, Lord, health and strength, the privilege and opportunity, Lord, to be gathered together here this morning in your house. Father, we thank you for the fellowship that we've already been able to enjoy together. Lord, in the singing of the songs and the praying with our hearts together. Now, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray, Lord, that you would anoint as only you can. Lord, that you would take and make these words alive into our hearts. Lord, we know that you know the hearts of each individual here this morning. You know, Lord, if there's any here that are lost that need to be saved, any that are backslidden that need to be restored any Christians that need to be strengthened and encouraged, Lord, that might be facing specific difficulties in their lives at this time, you know each need. We pray that you would reach out to each one through the power of the Spirit, that, Lord, as hearts are spoken to, Lord, that each and every one would be responsive in whatever way is necessary. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. As we continue to consider this matter of contending for the faith, the 25th in this series, and specifically the fundamentals of that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And of course, most specifically in these recent weeks, considering the fundamental doctrines relating to Jesus Christ our Lord and specifically now his visible return to the earth. 
in detailing the actions of the second coming, we've seen the rapture of his church in the air. We've seen the return with his church to the earth. We looked last week at the reign with his church on the earth. And finally today, we want to look at the result of his coming on eternity. The result of his coming. What is going to be the results of Jesus Christ returning to this earth, making his visible return? We've already seen some of the results re relating especially to the things here on earth. We've seen the first of the dooms that was brought upon Babylon when he returned, bringing about its fall. We further saw the battle of Armageddon, where we saw three other dooms, that of the beast or the antichrist, that of the false prophet, that of the kings of the earth and their armies, they were destroyed. And certainly all of these things have eternal consequences. But as we turn our minds and hearts specifically to the results of His coming on eternity, we're going to do this, God willing, today by breaking this down into two sections. The first one probably less tasty than hopefully the last. But we want to look first of all at the result of His coming on eternity and its eternal doom, and secondly, eternal delight. You see, there's going to be two sides to this story when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. There's going to be eternal, everlasting results for both those that are the unbelievers, the sinners, those that are lost, those that have never been genuinely born again, and those that belong to Him at His coming as we think, first of all, of this matter of the eternal doom that will be a result of His second coming, we looked last week at this thousand-year reign, and as this thousand-year reign of Christ on earth comes to a close, it is remarked, it is marked, we see in our first verse of our readings today, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So the end of the great thousand-year millennial reign of Christ is marked with Satan being released from the bottomless pit. Now, if you've got your charts with you this morning, you'll find that we'll be carrying on both of those, both in the, the study of Revelation. Last week, we just finished up there where it says the uh, millennial reign, and we're up to uh, number five under the dooms there. And you'll also find if you look on your time chart that all of these verses are placed in their appropriate place to where we believe that they will be happening and in the order that they will be coming. So if you'll recall, Satan was placed into that bottomless pit at the very beginning of the millennial reign. And he was placed there for a specific purpose. Look back with me into the first three verses of chapter 20 here in our reading. And it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, 
that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he shouldn't that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So during the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, while he was reigning here in his kingdom upon this earth, there has been no influence or deception from Satan because he has been bound for the entirety of that thousand years, and he's been sealed into that bottomless pit. However, as the thousand-year reign comes to a close, the Bible tells us he is released once again. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, I've been asked a number of times over the years in relation to this event, why? <laughs> I mean, why would the Lord release Satan again after having him bound up and sealed away in this bottomless pit for a thousand years? Why would he let him out again? My answer is really very simple this morning. I'm sure there's some theologians that could maybe give you some deeper insights into it, but... As we see right here in the Scriptures, I believe they give us themselves a very clear and simple answer to that question in these verses, that he was first bound and he was placed into the bottomless pit, the Bible says, so that he could not deceive the nations, specifically, of course, the people that make up those nations. No more deception by Satan until the thousand years was fulfilled. But then note, the very first thing that Satan does when he's released from that pit, he goes on, he says, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, listen, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, I find these some astounding verses. I find it hard to comprehend, even when we look at human history, when we look at all that, that humankind is capable of, I find it absolutely amazing that after a thousand years of Jesus Christ himself sitting upon the throne, reigning upon this earth, that man could still be deceived by Satan as soon as he comes back on the scene. If you remember, it was the saints that came through the tribulation that entered into this thousand-year millennial reign. The last of the sinners who had rejected Christ were destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. Those that were born to these during the millennium have never had the influence of Satan upon them. I figure they have lived a similar state to Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. Though there was one big difference, they will have been born in sin, just as all mankind before them. 
Satan must be released. And they, those that have been born during that thousand-year reign, they'll have the same choice that all of those before them have had. They have always only been two sides. And again, as you and all of those before you, they can either believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, or they can be deceived by Satan. Only once Satan has made his attempts, they have made their choice, only then can sin and Satan be put down forever, for all of eternity. You see, those born during that thousand-year reign, they have to be given the same opportunity to choose Christ or to be deceived by Satan as everyone that has gone before them. We find that we find that just as so many through the years have been deceived. You see, after, after living under the reign of Christ, when they are confronted with Satan and his deceptive ways, when they're confronted with sin, we know that many of them are deceived because the Bible says there is literally the, the sand of the sea. Wow. Why? Well, why did Adam and Eve fall to Satan's deceptiveness in the garden? After walking and having communion with God and being warned specifically, God could not have warned them any clearer. And yet, they heeded to Satan's words. Why? Why will these fall to the deceptiveness of Satan after seeing the goodness of the Lord for all of these years? Why are so many deceived today when God so clearly warns of the consequences and He gives us all of the possibilities? He offers us truth and He offers us life. And yet so many are still deceived into thinking, well, I'll sort it out later. It's not that important. Are there other things that are, that are more important? There's so many things. He doesn't care how he deceives you as long as he does. Why? Maybe. Maybe the most important question here this morning, maybe there's some under the sound of my voice right here that could answer the question, why have you been so deceived when you have the truth, when you have the alternative of life eternal that's been set before you? Jesus Christ has done everything that is needed. However, the very simple truth is that many have, many are, and many will continue to be deceived by Satan. As a result of allowing themselves, may you grasp this as we look through these scriptures this morning, for all, everyone, from the very first man to the very last that ever lives, 
everyone that has fallen to the deceptiveness of Satan faces the same doom. The end is going to be the same. Not at exactly the same time for all, but certainly for most. You see, why is it? Well, that leads us to this fifth doom that we read about here in verse 9. Remember, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is what we know and what is labeled on your revelation chart there as the battle of Gog and Magog. If you want to really read about it, which is not our main emphasis here today, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 gives you some pretty clear insight into the battle of Gog and Magog and what it's all about. But in essence, all of those that are deceived by Satan and that join him to raise themselves up against God and his city and his people, they are devoured by fire from God out of heaven on the spot. They gather themselves. They're there. They've got the saints surrounded. They've got the city surrounded. God's people, remember. (laughs) Remember what I told you about the battle of Armageddon? Oh, we'll be riding back with him. We'll be with him. But nowhere does it say that we have to lift one finger in the fight. Oh, he takes care of the battle. The battle is his, and the victory is his. Here we are at the battle of Gog and Magog, and and God's people are surrounded, and all those that have been deceived by Satan are there. But God himself brings down fire out of heaven and destroys them. Now, once again, there are only those who belong to Christ that are left on the earth. And from now, no others will be born. The last human being that's ever to be born on this earth has already been born. And now Satan was loosed and they've all had their opportunity to either accept the truth and the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ or to accept the lies and the deceptiveness of Satan himself. All of mankind have that choice. All of mankind will make his own choice. And we find that all of those, just as these here, that choose to align themselves with Satan, we see the fifth doom here is the doom of the deceived at the battle of Gog and Magog. Notice the very next verse. And the devil that deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. This is a thousand years after they were put in there to start with, remember, but they still are there right now, present tense, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Brother Chris, I was thinking about something this week that in all my years It never entered my mind before. We talk about the Christian's resurrected body. And we look forward to that resurrected body. When there'll be nothing left to wear out and there'll be no aches and there'll be no pains and whole lots of things are going to be different about it. 
But you know, I, I thought of something. You know, the sinner's going to have a resurrected body as well. He's got to have a resurrected body. It can't be this one here because we know what fire does to this flesh and bone that we're in now. But his resurrected body is not going to be designed for the delights of heaven. But it'll be designed to last for eternity in the lake of fire. Oh, he'll have every one of them. We'll see here, they will be raised. First of all, we see here the sixth doom that you have on your chart, Satan being cast into the lake of fire. Satan finally receives his eternal doom, never again to be able to deceive another human being again. The Bible says, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. What does forever and ever mean? You know, we find some that just don't like this kind of teaching. Well, I, I don't find any pleasure and joy about anyone spending forever and ever in a place called hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. With Satan now having received his eternal doom in the place called hell, we have the final doom, the seventh doom in verses 11 through 15, the doom of the dead. We have the doom of the deceived, all those that were deceived by Satan, the doom of the devil himself, but here we have the doom of the dead. You see, the first thing we see here, he says in verse 11, and I saw a great white throne. The great white throne. And him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. At this point, at this point in time, all the living, and the living are the true believers, those that are alive in Christ, all the living are present with Christ right now. That includes the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, the tribulation saints, the millennial saints, the saints of all ages. They're all alive. Remember back that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse 16, we find that we looked at this back during our look at the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and what? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. We read again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about them being raised and being changed from corruptible into incorruption, praise God. So all the dead in Christ that had died prior to the rapture, they were all raised at the rapture when that trumpet sound. They're out of there. There's none of them left in the grave. The tribulation saints, those that died during the tribulation, well, they were raised right here in our present chapter back up in, in, in verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. 
So all the dead prior to the rapture, they were raised at the rapture. Those that died during the tribulation, they were raised when Jesus Christ came back to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. The true believers of the millennium. Those that remain faithful that were not deceived by Satan. Satan. They're the only ones that survived the battle of Gog and Magog that we've just seen in verse 9. So all who have ever truly trusted in Christ, all that belong to him, they are alive. There is none of them dead, and they're all present with Jesus Christ right here at the end of the thousand reigns when he's getting ready to judge from the great white throne. On the other hand, what about all the unbelievers? Every unbeliever that has ever lived is dead, and every believer that's ever lived is alive. You see, all those who died without Christ prior to the rapture, they remained in their graves when he returned in the air for his church. Those still remaining on the earth without Christ at the end of the tribulation, they were destroyed at the battle of Armageddon. We're told in verse 5 above that they lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Those who were deceived by Satan at the end of the millennium, they were destroyed at the battle of Gog and Magog when God brought fire down out of heaven. There's not an unbeliever alive, and there's not a believer dead at this point, at the end of the thousand-year reign. Those things in mind, look here. And I saw a great white throne. Folks, this is a throne of judgment. It's a throne of judgment. And him that sat upon it, sitting on that throne is none other than God himself. And we can look all through Scripture and we can see where man's going to give it. But as he sits upon that throne, God is present in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who will sit there in judgment over all of mankind. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no more place for them. What is he talking about? Here's the great white throne. Here's Jesus Christ himself sitting upon that throne. But the Bible says that as Jesus Christ sits upon that throne, it says, from whose face the earth and heaven, this is not people, the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. What's he talking about? Well, I think that Peter gave a pretty good it, it, it description of what's taking place here. Back in 2 Peter chapter 3, notice what he says in verses 10 to 13. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in a holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat." I'll tell you exactly what he's saying here. That when Jesus Christ sits upon that throne, remember it was Jesus Christ himself who was there that created everything that is and the only reason it stays is because he keeps it there. 
But all of creation is now becoming the uncreated. This universe is going to disappear. It's going to be gone. It's not even going to exist anymore. God put it here. It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen from a big bang. It didn't happen from a cosmic soup. It happened because God himself placed it here and he keeps it here. The Bible says there's coming a day when all that we see is going to be dissolved and gone. God doesn't fit in the little box that we want to put him in a lot of times. Folks, I'm telling you that the curse of sin is upon this place. And there will even come that ultimate end when God's creation, all that he created, becomes the uncreated. But listen, we try to bottle it all up in time. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great. I saw the dead. Who are the dead? We've just got through seeing. All unbelievers of all time. From day one to day two of creation, every human being that's ever born, everyone that's never genuinely been saved or born again, at this point in time, they are the dead. We know they've been spiritually dead, but now they're all physically dead as well. I saw the dead small and great. It includes all, it doesn't matter who they were, how great their names was, or how small their name was, all the dead. I saw the dead, small and great, do what? Stand before God. All unbelievers of all time, standing before the one they've rejected, the one they've refused to give their life to, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's who they're standing before, each and every one of them, no one excluded. And as they stand there, the Bible says, and the books were opened. And the books were opened. I won't turn back for the sake of time. You can read about those books back in Daniel. He saw them back in Daniel chapter 7 as well. What books is he talking about? And the books were opened. Well, some believe that the books to be opened are the books that we have before us right here in the Word of God. We find that others believe that these books to be opened are the books whereby we know that every thought, every word, every action of man is recorded. Not one bit of it will ever be forgotten. Some believe that's the books that he's talking about here. It's where all that man has ever thought and said and done, every human being, that's where it's recorded. Well, I don't know how far it goes out there. I've never really read it anywhere, but may I subscribe to you that I'm not trying to compromise, but I think that probably both might be right. <laughs> not either or, one or the other. You see, he goes on in the same verse to say, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. They're being judged out of what's written in those books that are being opened, but they're being judged according to their works. Now remember, this is not for salvation, only the dead are there, and there is no more opportunity for life. They're being judged for their works, which we know if we, again, look through Scripture, this is, again, one of those places that's showing us that everybody's torment in hell is not going to be the same, but there'll be different levels of, of torment there, I believe. But you see, 
Every thought, every word, every deed of man will be judged. It's going to be judged against God's perfect standard, against God's holy standard, which we have right here in the Word of God before us. So I propose to you that the books, when they're open, the Bible says they're going to be judged for their works, for the things that they've done, for their actions, but this is what they're going to be judged against, God's holy standard. So the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, the book in which is recorded the names of all the redeemed of all time. We find that he goes on in verse 13, and he says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. See, it doesn't matter where a person's body has been interred or how it's been disposed of, whether it's been buried in a grave, whether it's been devoured by wild animals, whether it's been put into the sea and, and maybe has turned into shark bait or whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He says that death and hell, hell here being Hades, which we've looked at before, Hades, that abiding place for those who die without Christ right now, not the eternal lake of fire, but that where that we see when, when Abraham was there or, or when that, uh, uh, the, the beggar was there in Abraham's bosom, we find that when Lazarus looked across and saw the rich man in the place of torment, the Hades, you see, death and hell, that's where all the dead, that's what holds each and every one of them. But he says that they'll be delivering up all the dead which are in them. Death and hell, again, Hades. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All the dead unbelievers, except for the Antichrist and the false prophet, because they've already been cast into the lake of fire. But all the others at this point should be in this place called Hades. And they're all going to be delivered up. Now death and Hades themselves are cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says this is the second death. You see, man, as we've already stated, has already experienced physical and spiritual death. But being cast into the lake of fire is the second death because that is eternal death. That is eternal death. And of course, verse 15 says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Once for all, Satan and sin have been dealt with. Satan and sin and every human being that's ever followed that path has been dealt with eternally. We find that each and every person here today, you see, you will be there 
But the real question is, are you one of those who are alive, living with Christ, or one of the dead that will be being judged at the great white throne? The Bible is very specific. The Bible is very clear. No one, no one, no one survives that judgment. But yet there is absolutely no way to avoid that judgment except to be alive. And the only way you can be alive is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are alive today? Do you know with absolute certainty, not just that you're here breathing, living physically, but do you know that you're spiritually alive, that you've been born again? Folks, you can't experience birth by accident. Has there been a point in your life people can't pray enough to be saved? People can't turn over enough leaves. They can't go to church enough. It takes humbling yourself as a sinner before a holy God and crying out for mercy, depending solely upon His grace because He will give you that mercy because of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished for you. He wants to give you mercy. He wants to give you life today. But you can't just stumble into it accidentally. You don't want to admit that you've sinned you don't want to admit that somewhere along the way you haven't lived up completely to God's standard. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is nothing else. We see here, where will sin lead? Sin will lead to death. Where will death lead? Death will lead to the ultimate doom in the lake of fire. That's where all of death will go. Today, have you made that conscious choice? Have you genuinely sought the forgiveness that can be yours in Christ? And have you committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? There's something bad wrong. If you can on the one hand say, yeah, I've got my sins forgiven, but I'm not going to follow him with my life. Only you can make that choice. Everything that the Word of God teaches, and it's His turn. It doesn't matter what the denomination says. It doesn't matter what the Baptists say or any other denomination out there. It doesn't matter what other people say. What does God say? God says that there is a new birth, that there is a new experience, that there is something that must take place. And the Bible says there's going to be a change. Your desires are going to change. You are not just a made-over old person. You are a new creation, the Bible says. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but trying to follow Him. I'll give you this in closing. Remember the story I told you about the, the little Presbyterian girl? She wanted to become a member of the church. And as she came before the elders of the church, they weren't quite sure. I mean, she was only 11 or 12 years old, and they weren't quite sure, you know, whether that she was really born again or not. So they were asking her to explain her faith. How did she know that she was a Christian? And she, she didn't know any of the theological terms. 
But she looked at the elders and she said, well, said the only way I know to explain it is this. Before I got saved, I was chasing after sin. But since I got saved, sin's chasing after me. See, folks, something's got to change. You're supposed to be going in a different direction. This is some very sobering thoughts this morning. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God willing, tonight. And if you want to hear the really happy side of this sermon, you've got to be here tonight because that's the delight side. Amen. But when God returns to this earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be a side of doom. There's going to be a side of delight. Which are you going to experience? The very sobering thought this morning, every human being, every human being will be there either alive or dead. Which will it be? Because there will be no way to get to the other side then. But you still have opportunity here today. God, by His wonderful, marvelous grace, has given you opportunity. And I know where He wants you. But just as those that were deceived by Satan after Jesus Christ was sitting on the throne for a thousand years, people today are being deceived by that same Satan, even though God has given us all of His truth and offered us all of His mercy, and it's all right there in His Word. Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for each one that is here. And Father, as we look at the facts of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, His visible return to this earth, Lord, reminded here today that there are going to be some eternal consequences as a result of His coming. And of course, part of those is the eternal doom. Yes, of Satan and his angels, of the Antichrist and the false prophet. The Lord is going to be the eternal doom of every unbeliever of all time. And Father, we pray that if there are any here today that fit into that category, that have never genuinely been saved, that even now here today, May they not be deceived. May they not pin their hopes on some false hope, some false religion, some false something that they've done in their lives, but Lord, help them to have that absolute certainty of knowing. They've simply given up on themselves. They've humbled themselves as nothing but a sinner. They can't ask for anything deservingly, but they cry out for mercy. And the only reason they can ask for that mercy is because of what Jesus Christ did for them when He died in their place, when He shed His blood for their sin, when He rose the third day, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering that grave, that they can have hope for life, life everlasting. Father, we pray that You would speak to their hearts today and that this might be the day that they could come to experience real life. So that when Jesus Christ returns and Lord, after He has reigned a thousand years and He sits upon the throne there at the great white throne, Lord, that we might be with those that are alive and not the dead that are being judged. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 